This episode of Voices of the Elephant is brought to you by SiteGround. Welcome to the Voices of the Elephant podcast. Each episode of Voices of the Elephant brings you an interview with a member of the PHP community. From project leaders to user group organizers, we talk to the people that are helping make the PHP community special. Hi and welcome to another episode of Voices of the Elephant. My name is Cal Evans and I'm your host and my special guest today is Ms. Ann Gaffigan. Did I say that right, Gaffigan? You did. Okay, well I, I didn't ask and I usually ask um, so I know that if I'm butchering it. Of course, my special guest host with me this uh, for this episode is Mr. ZenCon himself, Adam Culp. Say hi to everybody, Adam. Howdy! <laughs> Now, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk to Anne, uh, Anne speaking at ZenCon 2017, and we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. But Anne, first, since this is your first interview here on Voices of the Elephant, but hopefully not your last, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into development. Oh, I love that question. Um, well, I got into it maybe just a little step at first when I was in about second grade, and I don't really remember why, but somehow I got to go to the computer lab on my own once a week. And we had one computer in there in my elementary school. It was an Apple IIe. And it was, of course, command line only and all that great stuff. And I played that game called Logo with the little turtle on the screen. And you can tell oh, it yeah. to move, turn right and turn left and walk a few steps and, and program it to draw stuff, which I didn't realize at the time was actually a form of programming, but I just felt like it was a fun game. Um, and then fast forward until maybe a few years later, I was about 10, and my sister was a graduating high school senior, and she won a science award, and the prize was an HP 49 scientific calculator. Mm -hmm. And um, she gave it to her dorky little sister because she didn't want it, and um, it came with two thick user manuals, and I closed the door to my bedroom and read them front to back and figured out that you could program this thing and do all kinds of cool stuff, and by the time I was in high school, I had stored, you know, functions in there to check my work on physics projects and stuff like that, and um, I think that's really when I got hooked. Very cool. Um, and now you are a professional developer. Uh, you work in real estate, right, at a real estate company? Yes, yeah, so I did. Um, I took a computer science class in high school and um, decided I, you know, I took some aptitude tests as well. That, you know, these aptitude tests that we took gave everybody else five or six career choices that they were suited for, and it gave me one, which was computer programming. So I decided I'd give that a try. I took a class in high school and I liked it. So I ended up going to the University of Nebraska. Um, I was recruited there to run track and field. And they also happen to have a pretty good computer science program, so it was a good fit for me. And um, I studied computer science there and graduated in 2004. And I spent about six weeks working full-time. And at the time, um, I was going through some, some personal changes in my life that were kind of heavy emotionally, and so I didn't, I didn't really 
have a lot of energy to look for a great job. So I kind of just took the first thing that fell in my lap. And I wasn't really happy. I was underpaid and that kind of thing. I also was trying to train for the next Olympic trials. And I just realized that I wasn't getting the training in that I needed to working full time. So I decided to move to freelancing. And I freelanced and I incorporated eventually as Gazelle Incorporated and had a um, pretty good roster of clients built up. And most of them were in the nonprofit sector. Most of them were related to high school sports. Um, and then a mutual friend introduced me to uh, someone who had started a real estate company in Omaha, Nebraska. And his name was Aaron Graham, and he had gone to Nebraska as well. Um, we hadn't crossed paths because he was old enough, older enough than me that we hadn't crossed paths. But he had been a football player at Nebraska. And he had started a company, real estate company that specialized in land. So hunting land, farms, um, investment land, that type of thing, as opposed to residential or commercial, mm -hmm. even though some of those, there are some overlap there. And... Um, you know, the land industry was just uh, a little further behind in terms of technology than the residential industry and still is and probably always will be. It's just um, kind of the, the culture of the two industries are, are that way. You know, residential is very forward-thinking, fast-moving, what's the latest and greatest. And, and uh, the land industry is a little more uh, old school and laid back. But we did need, they did really need some help there. He particularly needed some help just managing all of the information for his listings, all of the documentation that goes with everything, automating some things. I mean, they were trying to put um, their listings on their own site, but also these other sites, um, you know, that were curating properties for sale um, and didn't have a great way to do that. And so once I started building this custom system for him, he just kept saying, you know, this thing could do wonders for everybody in the industry, and we could really do something here. So we ended up becoming business partners, and at first, our, um, our kind of direction was to license this software to other brokers. And we tried to stay, you know, far away from, you know, brokers in other states, you know, several states away so that they weren't competing with them because the software worked. It made people find their website, you know, it brought in deals and it worked. And so we kind of got to the point where, A, we didn't want to be selling it to people next door to him, you know, in the next state over or in the same state he was selling in. And B, um, it was hard to get the value from the value communicated to brokers who hadn't used it yet. So what we wanted to charge, we could get, but it wasn't easy, and we didn't want to go any lower. I mean, we, we lowered it some, and I finally said, listen, I'm not lowering this anymore, or what it's going to do for their company. I mean, maybe we need to start, you know, saying, well, well it's free, but we'll take a small percentage of, of um, you know, every sale or something like that because the value was so great, but the hard to see in the beginning before you started using it. Um, so we kind of, we took a, we decided to step back and figure out what we wanted to do here, you know. And what we decided was, let's just continue to build this thing and make it work really well for our company and make it grow 
and stop trying to license it to others. And so we did that, and then sure enough, it wasn't too long before uh, he met the owner of a, uh, another brokerage out of the southeast, and we merged about a year and a half ago as National Land Realty, and um, were just recognized recently um, by Inc. Magazine as the fastest growing land brokerage in the country. So um, it's been a great partnership, um, some complimentary uh, assets that we all brought to the table. And um, it's been very challenging and in a great way for me. It was a, a kind of a refreshing, refreshing change in my career. Um, and that's a lot of what my, one of my talks at ZenCon is going to be about, is kind of that whole journey and what I learned along the way. And, the mistakes that I made and the right things that I did to get there. Yeah, I was going to say that. It sounds a lot like uh, some good content that you're probably going to be sharing in the uh, developer to stakeholder talk, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. thank you, Adam. That's a great segue into your talk, how to go from developer to stakeholder. Um, so that that one's based on your experience of, of, of making this journey? Yes. It is, and um, you know, I just I've been taking notes throughout my career because there have been really some pivotal moments where I just think, you know, I want to tell other people about this experience. Whether I messed up and I realized what I should have done, or I did something right and I wanted to tell other people to, you know, to take that course in that situation as well. So I've um, I've had a lot of notes over the years. And a lot of a lot of the things that I've learned happened at the very beginning of my career, and then most recently in my career, I kind of had this, you know, boring but but content period in the middle where I didn't learn necessarily a lot. And then I took this big leap with with uh, the the real estate industry that I just told you about. So, um, you know, just to highlight that talk for you, um, one of the major lessons that I've learned that was hard for me to learn because it was against my nature and, and how I was brought up, so to speak, was to speak up. And it sounds so easy and so cliche, but many of us are, you know, brought up to do what you're supposed to do and work hard and, and respect authority and all of that stuff, which which is good in some situations. But sometimes you have to, you have to speak up for yourself or for an idea or for somebody else. And what I've realized looking back on some of the hardest things that I've done were times when I had to speak up and I did speak up and I haven't regretted a single one of them. And they've actually been pivotal points in my career. For example, um, that full-time job that I had for a short amount of time um, when I decided to leave it and, and be a freelancer, one of the issues is, well, you know, I don't have any freelance clients lined up, right? Luckily, I was in a situation where I didn't have the expenses that I have now as a full-on adult. You know, I was a semi-adult with no kids and a small apartment and, you know, stuff like that. So there wasn't a ton of money that I needed to come up with every month, but I needed to have some. Um, but when I decided to do that, um, I, I let it be known to one of our clients that I was working with 
day, daily, on a daily basis, full-time, basically. It was me and them. Um, and we were working on quite a large project for them. And, it, and I was the one doing the 99% of the work for it. And I had been working with them since I was an intern in college. So I just felt like I needed to let them know that I was about to quit my job because it was going to affect them in a big way. And so I just, I mentioned to the lady that I worked with, hey, um, just so you know, I'm, I'm considering going out on my own, um, and here's why. I just, you know, I want to make sure I can prioritize my training and, and all that. And um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to my boss tomorrow, and I just want to let you know, um, because it's going to be some big changes for you guys. I want you to be aware. And um, the next day, actually later that evening, I got a call from her boss, and it was, you know, as I thought, they were a little panicked, and and uh, he said, well, if you go out on your own, can you still work with us? And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, let's figure that out. So long story short, um, there were some things going on behind the scenes that I didn't know about that were pretty unethical uh, by, on behalf of my boss. And I wasn't happy with him already. He had, um, you know, he had promised some things to me and had not delivered. Um, I knew what he was getting paid for the work that I was doing, and so what I was getting paid was just, it was insulting. And when I told him that I was going to go out on my own freelance, he made fairly derogatory comments about that idea and whether or not I'd be able to do it. So um, this client was adamant that they wanted to continue to work with me because I was the one doing the work for them. So to them, the company didn't matter. It was it was me who was doing the work and had been doing the work with them. And so, you know, of course, the answer in most people's minds is, well, you can't do that. You know, you sign an NDA and you can't do that. Well, I had never signed one. And I hadn't even signed an employee agreement. I hadn't signed an NDA. I hadn't signed signed a non-compete. Excuse me, non-compete is, is what I'm trying to say. And um, after some words were exchanged that were not very nice on that end, you know, uh, you kind of stop worrying about whose feelings you're going to hurt. And um, so I went in and I talked to my boss and I said, "Look, I'm going to go freelance, and uh, this client wants to go with me." And I want to be upfront with you about that because you're not going to like it. But, you know, I, I would like to work with them. They're great people. You know, I enjoy working with them every day. We're right in the middle of this project that I don't know how you're going to pick up on if I leave. You're not going to get anybody doing what I'm doing at my salary, that's for sure. And um, so I'm, I'm going to continue to work with them. And he was like, well, you can't, you know, this, that, and the other. I, I can. Um, you know, the way the open source licenses, I can. I have not signed a non-compete, so I can. And he knew about the open source license because he had been saying, this is one of the things he said that, that bothered me, was we're going to have them pay for this thing that we're building them, and then we're going to sell it to other people in their industry. And not that that doesn't happen, but I didn't like the way that he said it. He said it, you know, it's very evil, ha, 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 we're going to make them pay for this, and, and then we're going to sell it and make money off of it. And these people were just amazing people. They were so good to me. They were so nice. You know, they were just good, honest people, and I didn't like them being talked about like that. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I mentioned the open source license, he looked at me like, I can't argue with that because 
you know, I know exactly what it means and I know what you can do. And um, so anyway, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because I very much was on the fence of, am I being completely unethical or am I standing up for the right thing? And um, I still get a little nervous even telling that story because I'm not sure how it's perceived, but at the end of the day, I don't regret it at all. Um, that client was a long-time client until I merged with National Land Realty with this other real estate company until that happened a year and a half ago. They were my client, and I consider all of them good friends. We, you know, Whenever I'm back in Nebraska, we, we go and we talk, and they're just good people, and you know, we built a great thing together. And so I don't regret it at all, but it was by far the hardest thing I had to do. And he sent his lawyer after me, and, you know, I was 22 and didn't have a lawyer. My client had a lawyer. He had a lawyer. I didn't have a lawyer. Uh, I helped my client's lawyer write a memo about the open source license and what it means and, and what, how it applied to this project. Um, the lawyer claimed that I had uh, signed a non-compete, and, you know, I finally said, show it to us. I knew I hadn't, and so it was ugly, but it was it was a good learning experience. And I was someone who never would have challenged a boss or anyone in that way. And I just had this gut feeling that they were not doing things right, and they were treating these good people really wrong, and it bothered me. And I just finally said to myself, you know, you're going to be walked over for the rest of your career. Do you stand for? If you stand for something like this to happen, and even even besides that, put away that, you stand for this type of pay, and you just basically stand for this level that you you put yourself at voluntarily. If you don't voluntarily get yourself out of it, you're never going to go anywhere. Yeah, you know? I, I, so, I applaud you for that. It's, that's one of my gauges. I mean, as I'm looking at things on a daily basis, and it's something that I tell a lot of folks is, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have an agreement in place, if you don't have rules in place that you can look at, all you have to do, all you have to go by is your gut. And if your gut feels like it's not right, chances are it's not right. I think that's really true. And um, you just have to, you have to work on believing in yourself in that respect. Um, because, you know, sometimes you just, you can just question yourself ad nauseum. So, um, that's, that's a big piece of my, my talk there. Another, another big piece is using, I call it using transparency as a Trojan horse. So I've found that one of the most effective ways to communicate something about technology to someone who doesn't know as much as you do about it, you know, they're on the business side, um, is to just be as transparent as possible. And it works when you're trying to explain why something is taking so long or is going to take so long. It works when explaining why you have to prioritize things like security or, or upgrades, um, stuff like that that's not pretty, that they're not going to see much much of on the user side. You know, They're not going to see this great new interface when you do a, a server upgrade or, or security procedures is all behind the scenes so um, I found that the best way to communicate some of that stuff is and to be effective in communicating it and make them understand maybe not understand completely but respect what you're saying is to be transparent and sometimes that works because it makes them understand and sometimes it works because they can't understand it <laughs> yeah. so and what I mean by that is you know, if you explain something, and I do this with my, I've started doing this with my eight-year-old, 
because she, and, and not to equate uh, non-technology people in my company with an eight-year-old, you know, they'll get me for that, but um, she will ask me at night, you know, what did you do today at work? And, you know, when she first started asking me that, and she asked me every night, when she first started doing that, I thought, how do I explain to her what the heck I did today, you know? And because just to get her to understand it. And so I started just explaining it to her as if I was explaining it to another developer. And you know what? It works really well um, because it puts her to sleep. <laughs> um, but sometimes, sometimes she'll hear a little something and she'll ask a question. And so it's interesting to me because I thought what would happen is she would stop asking me. Because to be honest, it sounds terrible. I didn't want to answer the question because at night I'm exhausted. I want her to, you know, we just read books. I did that. I got her to bed, I got her dinner, all of that stuff, and I wanted her to just close her eyes and go to sleep. And she wants me to tell her what I did today. And I'm tired and I don't want to answer it. So originally I did it that way because I thought she would stop asking. Well, she hasn't stopped asking. She asks every single night and she either falls asleep when I start telling her or she hears something that's interesting and she asks the question. So um, I started doing that uh, when I think it's right um, with the other partners in my company, um, sometimes when uh, I know that they won't understand and that they will just draw the conclusion of, okay, we need to just listen to Anna and let her do her thing. And it works. Um, and other times it works because it does explain to them exactly what needs to happen. Um, so being transparent, as simple as it sounds, and just completely explaining what has to go into something has been probably the most effective communication tool that um, I've started using in terms of, you know, getting the time that I need, getting people to put other things on, on the back burner and prioritize something that I know needs to be prioritized um, in, this, in this company and in this situation because um, it's, better than, it's better than having an argument, it's better than getting passionate, it's better than feeling like you have to defend your territory and just being you know, stoically and plainly transparent about what needs to happen and why and what could happen if we don't do it that way. Wow. I'd love to get you on a podcast. We have several other developers that talk a lot about business and um, business practices and stuff like that. And I'd like to get all of us together and just tell horror stories one night. Um, hey, uh, before we move on to your next talk, <laughs> let me pause for a second and talk about our wonderful sponsor, SiteGround. See, every website needs hosting. Now, we're all developers. We know that not all hosts are the same. So if you're looking for a solid and secure host for your website, your web application, or your web store, check out SiteGround. Now, they're rock-solid technical people. They're easy to work with when it comes to support, but more importantly to me, they're fun people to be around. If you run into them at a WordCamp or a PHP conference, stop by their booth and talk to them. You'll see what I mean. And when you get ready for, to select your next host for your next web app, check them out. You can find out more information about them at SiteGround.com. And, of course, make sure you tell them that Cal sent you. Okay, Anne, you are also doing another talk, which you'll, um, we haven't announced yet, but you'll be doing for Nomad PHP in December, called Tackling the Beast, How to Gradually Upgrade Legacy Code Base to PHP 7. Talk to us a little bit about what people can expect to hear in that talk. Yes, well, um, I have a lot of legacy code and had a lot of legacy code, I should say. 
for multiple projects. And, um, you know, some of the projects that I had to upgrade or was faced with upgrading, I had begun writing when I was right out of college. And so a lot of spaghetti code and that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of times when you're up, when PHP makes an upgrade, it's not a huge deal. Sometimes there's a function that is deprecated, um, you know, and but usually they give you a pretty easy transition to make and stuff like that. Well, the MySQL Connect and MySQL I Connect change really hit me pretty hard because I had a, a lot of code in a lot of places that was using the old way and using it throughout the code as opposed mm -hmm. to in one class. And so um, it's something that I procrastinated for a long time and um, something that when I was, when I had my own business, clients didn't want to pay for. So it was hard to get them to understand that they, that this had to happen. And it was going to take a lot of hours and I bill hourly and I couldn't do it for free. So that situation made it tough and we all kind of kicked the can for a while. Um, but eventually, you do have to do it, right? You have to upgrade your PHP. Yeah, it has to be done. So you're just kind of avoiding the inevitable. Um, so, um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking, trying to talk to people that I could network with about what the best way to do something like this is. Because the issue I faced was, okay, let's put the, the cost aside. And, you know, let's say, you know, you can do this and, and there's no worry about who's paying for it. Um, to transition your current code to, to using code that would be functional in PHP 7, it's not going to work on the server that you're on right now. So, or or it could, but then how do you you can't you can't open up a new server and just move your code over. You can't open up a new server, change all of your code in your existing server, and just move it over in a day. I mean, the amount of code that I had to change was going to take months. I mean, it was hard to even estimate how long it was going to take. And yeah. so there really was not time to shut everything down and change everything in my existing code base. And in the meantime, stop any development that we, any projects that we wanted to work on during that time. And then open it up on the new server and put it over there and, and test it, and obviously test it before it goes live, all that good stuff. Um, and so when I, when I talked through this with people, the, answer, the answers were, there were two answers. You can either um, rewrite your entire, just start over, rewrite the thing. Or you can open up every file and replace MySQL underscore with MySQLI underscore. Well, and of course, you know, there's more to do than that. Um, because sometimes you have to include the database connection, sometimes you don't. So um, neither of those sounded very good to me. I mean, there was just, there was no way that I could completely stop all projects, upgrade this code, and then come up for error a few months later and move them all to PHP 7. There's just no way. And I felt like there just had to be a better way. And so what I ended up doing was writing kind of an adapter class. And um, I still had to change a lot of code, but it allowed me to change code on the old version of this, on the old server gradually over time and basically upgrading it to PHP 7 without yet upgrading the server to PHP 7 until I had gotten through all of the code 
and could move it over to PHP 7 ready for PHP 7, even though it was functioning on PHP 5.2. Mm -hmm. So, so it allowed me to. Well, and then I had to commit. I had to commit myself personally to every time I hit a file to change it for any reason, even to even if someone wanted to change the label on a text input to something else or add a direction, add a sentence that, that improved the direction. Anytime I touched a file for any reason, whether it was to do something big or small, I had to adapt that file to use this adapter class, this adapter database class that worked whether I was on 5.2 or 7. And so that was what I committed to doing myself but I could do that over time. And over time, I hit every single piece of code, right? And there were some at the end, you know, where I could do a search and realize, okay, I haven't touched those scripts. I can go in there and fix them. But at that point, when I was ready to move over to PHP 7, it was a handful of scripts. Now, I'd gotten through the majority of the system over time just by committing to that. And then I had to do a handful of them at the end before I moved everything over. So this adapter class allowed me to use to have functional code whether I was on 5.2 or 7. And so I could get it ready for 7 while still being, while still working, still functioning as normal. We were still uh, developing new projects and enhancing old ones as normal. Things were just taking maybe a 10% longer because I was going in and, and refactoring this code to use the adapter class. And so then once I was ready to move to PHP, to the PHP 7 server, um, I could move everything over, and it was ready to work on PHP 7, even though it had previously been working on PHP 5.2. So, um, and what was nice is I was able to do that um, on smaller projects before I had to do it on really big ones. So I was able to work some kinks out and that sort of thing. But um, well, that's it good. Was one yeah. of those things that, yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. And, and now, sure enough, now on this new server that, um, for one of the major projects that I upgraded to, when I upgraded to it, he, they said, oh, well, one of our new features, my hosting company, one of our new features is we allow you to have uh, different, different versions of PHP for different accounts on the server. So you could actually have 5.2 over here and 7 over here, which previously couldn't be been, been done when I started looking into this process and so said thanks, but it doesn't help me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no longer helping, but thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, that is a, um, a fascinating story, and I can't wait to, to see the talk. Um, of course, I get to see it twice. I can see it at ZenCon. Like I said, you're going to be doing that for Nomad PHP in December of 2017. So um, all of us are going to be able to benefit from that. Hey, um, before I let you go, I need to ask the one question I'm asking all my um, ZenCon friends. What talk are you looking forward to seeing? Um, I'm looking forward to Dave Stokes' talk about MySQL 8 and all the new stuff um, coming in there. I've, I've heard that there's uh, 3D geometry and, and 2D geometry and some interesting things with JSON. I'm pretty interested in that because uh, we have a lot of mapping going on, as you can imagine, um, mm -hmm. with a land real estate company. And um, we we have a lot of tools for the agents in the back end for mapping to draw their own maps and create their own maps. And, and we are on the front end um, always trying to improve how we're displaying our listings and 
and eventually we'll we'll love to move to 3D once the imagery is there. The imagery really isn't isn't great yet, but would love to move towards that. So having those capabilities in MySQL um, is really interesting to me. We use a we use a server for the the geometry right now that has Postgres. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to be able to marry the two and have them in one place. So that's what yeah. I'm looking forward to. Very cool. Matter of fact, we interviewed Dave earlier, and I think that released earlier this week, and we talked about MySQL 8 and a little bit about the, the 3D geometry and things like that, and that's going to be an exciting talk. Hey, I want to thank yeah. you for taking the time to be with us here today. Adam, thank you for hanging out with us and um, being with us. Can't wait to meet you, Anne, at ZenCon. Looking forward to that. And I appreciate you just taking the time to be with us here on Voices of the Elephant. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to ZenCon for sure. I'm counting the days down. Yeah. Okay, that's another episode of Voices of the Elephant that is in the can. Hey, thanks for spending some time with us. We hope you found it a valuable investment of your time. And we'll see you right here next episode on Voices of the Elephant. Thanks for listening to Voices of the Elephant. Voices of the Elephant is copyright EICC Incorporated and released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives Share and Share Alike license. To nominate someone to be a guest on Voices of the Elephant, visit our website and click on the nominate link. The URL is voicesoftheelephant.com. Elephant is of course spelled E-L-E-P-H-P-A-N-T.